The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, In those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then... He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the end of the sky. Learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches become tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, know that he is near at the gates. Amen, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. What a glorious day. Did I just hear when I was in the back getting ready for Mass that Bonnie and Lynn celebrating a wedding anniversary recently? How many years? 65? 65. Praise the Lord. God is so good. Bonnie, I got I to gotta tell you, yell that out from the rooftops. Yell it out. Tell everybody that marriage is possible. I really mean that. Let people know that a man and a woman can love all the way to the very end. I say that because, oh, I, I, I talk to so many young people. They say, Father, it's not possible. And I want to say, no, it is possible. It is hard as heck. Absolutely. But it is beautiful and worth it. Yell it from the rooftops. That marriage, a holy marriage is possible. So I just heard that. I was like, oh man, that's so beautiful. That's not my homily about today though. So. But let's dive in. Just as powerful as that witness of marriage. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as we all know now that as we enter into fall fully, you notice, you notice something about the readings. The readings are start, they're about to get dark. They're about to get scary. And if you remember from last Sunday, we preached about it's on purpose, by design. I didn't choose any of these readings. In fact, for the all leading up into Christmas, it's going to start getting dreary and it's going to start focusing on the end. Because remember why this was by design. 
Remember last, from last Sunday, just to recap briefly. As Christianity now in the 8th century, 6th to 8th centuries, we're, we're entering into what's now known as England, Ireland, modern-day France, that part of Europe. We're starting to encounter these pagan peoples who during the fall focused their attention on death. And so now here, as, as our missionaries are entering into these regions, we start saying, all right, you're focusing on death during fall? We're going to proclaim to you the gospel, the power and the beauty of Jesus Christ. That's why we no longer have to fear death. And so in many ways, why all of the readings leading up to Christmas, it's all about the end. Heaven, hell, death, judgment, all the fun things, happy things. huh? Listen to the words of the Lord today. Did you hear the words of the gospel? The Lord is talking about when he comes back the second time. And he speaks about that glorious end. Days will be darkened, moon will not give its light, stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. He's talking about the end again. That's why the church's attention is going to focus in. What's going to happen when we die? We get into heaven, right? You know, traditionally we have that funny image of St. Peter up at the gates of heaven. We walk up with the clouds, right? And then there's this, this iron rock gate and Peter's there. Let's play with that image for a second. You stand before the gates of heaven and Peter asks, why should you be let in? What are we going to say as Christians? What are you going to say? What answer will we give Peter when he asks, why should I let you into heaven? What are we going to say? Because if you ask any random person on the street, we'll probably get a variation of why we should get into heaven is because I'm a good person. I've said this before, countless homilies. Because in a sense, for the last hundred years, what's happened to Christianity is that Christianity has become more therapeutic, more of doing nice things. People tend to reduce Christianity to just being, doing nice stuff. Why should I let you into heaven? Peter asks us. Why? Because I'm not Hitler, basically. I'm a good person. I haven't killed anybody. Let me in. <laughs> That's not the answer, though. If you stand before the pearly gates, before Peter himself, and he asks you that question, there's only one correct answer. It's one word. One word. Jesus. That's it. That's it. Why do I say that? Because let's follow up logically. If indeed I can get into heaven just by volunteering on, on the weekends and not killing anybody, then the whole entire edifice of Judaism and Christianity collapses. Because if indeed all you have to do is do nice things, I don't need that. I don't need a savior. I don't need Moses, I don't need Elijah, I don't need the prophets, I don't need the apostles, I don't need anything. I just do nice things. And then I get into heaven. Do you see how that idea, that answer, does not correlate with the Christian civilization? Jesus Christ does. Why? Because remember, when Adam and Eve fell in Genesis, it incurred upon humanity a punishment 
a debt which you and I could never pay. Remember that. Nobody gets to heaven on their own accord. I can't get into heaven by doing nice things because I cannot pay the debt of original sin. And this is where the power and the beauty now of our Lord and his mercy shown beautifully on the cross. Christ now who sheds his blood and he pays the debt which we could have never afforded. Jesus is the reason why we can even get into heaven. But then what happens next? Our lives now become a working out of that love of Christ on the cross. Because Christ pays the eternal punishment due to our sin. And then now, the reason why you and I even exist, however long we have on earth, it is going to be a working out of that love and my cooperation with God's gift to me. Always remember that you have everything you need. God will give you everything, every grace that you need flowing from the power of the cross to get into heaven. It is our decision whether or not we cooperate with that grace. This is where now our personal decisions come in. And so I want to read to you and why during the month of November, as we understand why there's envelopes in the pews, why if you haven't already, and many of you already have, turn in those envelopes to me. Uh, write down the names of your loved ones. And hopefully by the end of the homily, you'll understand why the importance of that. Because it's all rooted in this doctrine of what we call purgatory. Purgatory. There's a lot of misconceptions about this, but remember, from the very beginning of Christianity, we always taught this doctrine of purgatory. In fact, it's all the way back to the Jewish people. They believed it as well. So I want to read to you this, this pivotal text which highlights this, this doctrine of purgatory. So St. Paul writing now in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Paul writing says this. According to the grace of God, which has been given to me as a wise builder, I laid the foundation and another builds thereon. But let everyone take care how he builds. For other foundation no one can lay, but that which has been laid, which is Christ Jesus. Meaning, Christ the foundation. Christ is the answer. Christ is the only way to heaven. The foundation, Christ. So that's, that's the building block right there. He shed his blood. Paul continues. But if anyone builds upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each will be made manifest, for the day of the Lord will declare it, since that day is to be revealed in fire. Fire. The fire will ass- assuage the quality of everyone's work. If his work abides which he has built thereon, he will receive reward. If his work burns, he will lose his reward, but himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. What is he speaking about here? He's speaking about a spiritual state by which Paul now is, in a sense, he's speaking about the soul now who stands before judgment. When, he, when the person dies, when you and I die, we're not married in hell, remember. 
but we're not yet completely purified as of yet. We're not yet cleansed. So this is where he speaks about if anyone builds his life, again, through their own decision-making, if their actions determine gold, hay, wood, silver, meaning all these other attachments, it's an analogy. He's speaking about the soul which is not yet fully cleansed because their lives has not been fully been purified as of yet. What am I talking about here? Because you can go back to the book of Revelation. It says clearly that nothing impure can enter into heaven. Nothing impure can enter into heaven. And so there has to be some spiritual state, which, of course, Christ now declares us clean through his shedding of his blood. But then it is worked out through our messy <laughs> and complicated lives. And sometimes when we die, what happens is that there's still attachment of sin that I have, which must be cleansed. And Paul describes this process as a fire, as a purging, to be purified, which we now call purgatory. Do you see the connection? Fire, cleansing, purity. Purgation, purgatory. And the Lord here now begins to say, it is through fire and through pain. And it's this mysterious condition by which we are cleansed of these, these attachments that we have in our lives. And the question now becomes, why is it painful? We're not quite sure. It's, it's a mysterious quality. And many, many saints have speculated about why, why this tends to be painful. St. Augustine beautifully said that this purgation of this fire, which St. Paul, Paul speaks about, he said, it is the most intense pain we will ever endure. And one of the reasons why many saints and theologians speculate it is that as painful as it is. Because notice now what's happening. We have died. We're now standing before judgments before the Lord. We're standing now in the purity of God's light. We now, get, we now encounter God, because here on earth, we tend to fumble. We, don't, we get distracted easily, don't we? What, do, what are the chief rivals of God's love for us in our hearts? Again, I preach about this ad nauseum, don't I? The four classical chief rivals that God competes with in your heart, in my heart, Money, power, honor, pleasure. These are the chief rivals of the human heart that God has here on earth. And we tend to get distracted with those things. But now imagine us, we're standing for judgment. Now we see God for clearly who he is. And through, through that purity of God, seeing him face to face now, we begin to see our actions and our, our behavior for what they truly are. There's, there's no longer any hiding anymore in that state of, the, of purgation. There's that blatant honesty, because in here, oh, we're good at wearing masks. All of us, we're, 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 we're professionals at pretending. At pretending that we're okay, that we're, that we're fine. Oh, in purgation for judgments, we see the full consequences of our actions there. And part of that purging is a confronting of our actions in God's light. One way of thinking about this as well 
Remember in junior high, I had a really good friend. His name was Jason. And sadly, like oftentimes at that age, you tend to pick on people. You tend to pick on people. You tend to bully others. And you always pick the scrawniest little kid in class, don't we? Why? Because if you pick some big guy, it's going to happen to beat you up. And I remember my friend Jason and I, we teamed up on this kid in our class, skinny little kid. Made fun of him relentlessly. Why? Because we wanted the, you know, the girls in our class to like us. We're tough. We can pick on this little kid. Oh, we bullied him. And I remember one day between class, we have this narrow hallway. And it was packed, packed with kids. And we saw, we saw him coming. And we heard him badly that day in front of everybody. Everybody laughed at him. He was lying on the ground, his books scattered apart. We threw him up against the wall, and he was just lying there on the ground. I remember that day. And I was just laughing in his face. The whole, everybody in that hallway was just pointing as he, as he struggled to pick up his papers. His books. I don't know whatever happened to that kid. But I bet you when I stand before judgment, before God, that event will come up. And God will show me all that I did to him. And he will show me the consequences of my actions. Of what that kid would not have to endure for the rest of his life. And that will be very painful. Why? Because by that point, I recognize his dignity and how I hurt him. I recognize the dignity of myself now and how I fail to live up to my Christian duty. And how, how I hurt him now in, in light of God's grace and that I hurt one of his God's sons. And because of my selfish actions, just so I could look cool in front of the girls in class. That I sacrifice his well-being. And oh, how that will burn on that day. Because I see now how far I fell. Do you see now why purgation will always be a purging experience? Oh, but it will be a good pain. We're talking about how good pain. No such thing. Yes, it's a good pain. Because I get a lot of the private revelations, you know, many saints have spoken about this. Again, it's private revelation, so we're not bound to believe it. But many of the saints who have experienced purgatory or have seen those souls there, they say those souls rejoice. Because there's only one way out of purgatory, by the way, and that is heaven. And they see that they want to be purged of their pain and their attachment to sin and all that they've done. They want to enter into the glory of heaven, pure and dignified, because they know that nothing impure can enter into heaven. And so they want to enter into God's fullness, the beatific vision, as we call it, worthy of such love. Speak about it or look about it another way. All you women in here who have ever given birth, you already penetrate this mystery. Because you experience pain to give birth to your children. 
And you knew it was a good pain, didn't you? Maybe not at the moment, but you knew it was good pain. Because you knew that after you have given birth to your children, you would enter face to face with that child you already loved for nine months in your womb. And when you gazed upon them for that first time, you forgot about that pain. And I dare say you even said it was worth it. Purgatory is like that. We want to enter into this purgation because now nothing will distract us from seeing finally God face to face. That is why, if you haven't already, grab those envelopes, write down the names of your loved ones, as the entire church during this month of November turns her attention, all of her spiritual guns, to the lifting up of our brothers and sisters, our moms and our dads, our brothers and our sisters, our aunts and uncles, the people we love the most. And we say, Lord, we offer you our prayers on behalf of our brothers and sisters. If they're in purgatory, let them in faster. Let them in so they may behold the beauty of your face. And that is the greatest gift we can give our loved ones who have died. Write down those names. Turn in those envelopes. So the cleansing can commence and finally finish.